Shout for joy to God. All the nations sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. What a gift that we have been given in the church. That we not only know one another, but we can come again today to worship together. Are you not grateful for that? Let's begin our service by just thanking God for the church. Father, thank you that you have created us for relationships. Yes, a relationship with you, but you have also created us for relationship with one another. It is impossible for us to be socially distant because you've made us as social creatures. Yet, Lord, our prayer today is to celebrate this institution, this this gift you've given to us in the church, and just be refreshed by seeing our friends and and new friends as well. Lord, we know that this is not just about a social club, but we are coming now to be fed what the Bible says, to encourage our hearts, to equip us to go out and serve from this building. And may we do that today for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We are resuming in our study in the book of Acts, so you can turn with me to Acts chapter 9, and we're going to pick up right where we left off last weekend. A few years ago, my wife and I watched a documentary called Wild Horse, Wild Ride. It was a documentary that depicted a hundred wild Mustangs that had been rounded up on federal lands, and they were matched with 100 different horse trainers throughout the United States. These trainers were given 100 days to break these wild horses and to make them useful. And at the end of that 100 days, there was a competition in Fort Worth, Texas, where judges would look over these trainers and horses and award prizes accordingly. What I appreciated about the documentary was the wide variety of contestants. There were a few brothers from New Hampshire. There was a biomedic PhD. And there was even a roofer from Door County. And each of them seemed to apply a different approach to breaking a wild horse and making it useful. It was a really engaging film. Well, last week, we read about a wild stallion of a man named Saul and how he had left Jerusalem in hot pursuit of Christians, seeking to arrest them and bring them back. And while he was on his way, through a 150-mile journey to Damascus, Jesus was in hot pursuit of his own soul. And there, in his approach to Damascus, he broke down and he trusted Christ to save him from his sins and became a follower of Jesus. This Saul would become Paul. There are 27 books in the New Testament and Paul is given credit for writing 13 of them. 
There are a number of churches that were planted during the first century, many of those planted by Saul himself. He is the greatest theologian that this world has ever known. Have you ever asked yourself, how did God take this wild stallion and break him and make him useful for the kingdom? Well, the verses that we're covering this morning in the middle part of Acts chapter 9, I think will provide an answer for that. So let's pick up where we left off last week. We'll start in the second half of verse 19, and we'll just continue through this chapter. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem and those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose and to bring him bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And when they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, They brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Let's pray. Lord, as we look to your word, we see a man whom you used as much as any. And at the beginning of this chapter, he was wild and unruly. And yet we know him to be one that faithfully preached and organized many, many churches. Would you help us to see his life? And there are some gleaning truths here for us to see in our own lives that would bring encouragement and of help. Help us to see that. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to suggest to you that there are at least five different stages in our passage today that express this breaking of Saul. Now, I am not suggesting that each of us will experience all five stages or these five stages in order, but I think there's some benefit for us to see what was the process of God taking Saul from where he was to where he became. So the first stage I think that we see in this process is that of excitement and success. If you look again with me, At our passage, the second half of verse 19 says, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. Saul was wise to identify with some new Christians. 
And these new Christians there in Damascus took him under his wing. Verse 20 tells us, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God. There was a joy in Saul's salvation. He immediately went out and proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue. And this is not unusual. When a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, has experienced the forgiveness of sins and the filling of the Holy Spirit in their life, it often leads them to going out and proclaiming to others what Jesus has done. And that's what we see here in Saul. During these weeks, I've tried a few different things on, on the midweek. You might remember, I, we placed a, a special emphasis on family worship. So on Wednesday nights, we provided a, a live viewing of within our own family on how we do family worship. The second emphasis that we've tried to place is that of evangelism. So as a church family, what I'd like you to do is be reading this small little book called Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman. And throughout the week, I'm going to sit down with a couple or some people and just review the contents of this little book. On Tuesday, I sat down with Pastor Jim and Vanna, the former pastor and his wife, and we spoke about evangelism. And if you viewed that, then you remember how Pastor Jim spoke about the time when he became a Christian, how he could not help himself to go out and share the gospel with men in a college dorm room. That is the same thing that we are seeing here in Saul's life. Verse 21 reveals that the people within the synagogue are asking themselves, isn't this the same Saul that came here to Damascus to actually arrest Christians and now he is proclaiming their message? And then verse 22 reveals that Saul increased it all the more in strength. We ought not to think that Saul was out working out at a fitness center. Rather, this strength is that of spiritual strength. Verse 17 of this passage tells us that he was filled with the Spirit. And now the Spirit is strengthening his life. It also says there in verse 22 that he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus. Now, if you took an afternoon and you just read through the book of Acts, and you started in chapter 1, and you got here to this passage in Acts chapter 9, it could be that when you got to verse 22, you would say to yourself, I think I have read about another guy just like this, who was persuasive in his preaching. And that would be Stephen. In Acts chapter 6, verse 10, it says of him, that they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. It is ironic, is it not, that the baton from Stephen has been passed on to Saul. Saul is the one who authorized Stephen's stoning. But now we see that Saul, who was a Pharisee, last week we, we suggested that he was actually a member of the Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin. He was very skilled in debating and now he's using these skills to defend the cause of Christ. One might think here, as he's just out the gate, there is success. There is excitement. Now is the time to get him his own podcast, his own web page, his own book, and his own circuit to be able to speak on. 
But that is not God's path for Saul's life. Let us consider the second stage. It is that of seclusion and learning. When we look at the next verse, we see here in verse 23 where it says, When many days had passed. If we allow our eyes just to rest on those two words, many days, what does that mean? I had mentioned at the beginning of the message that Saul had authored 13 of the 27 New Testament books. And in some of those books, he provides some insight to his early years. One such occasion is Galatians chapter 1. Keep your finger here and turn with me to Galatians 1 to the right. We could read verses 11 through 24 of Galatians 1, but I think just in the interest of time, allow me to read chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, where Saul is going to provide some clarification on how many days he was away. Verse 17 of Galatians 1 says, Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. These two verses in Galatians chapter 1 tell us that there was a gap between verses 22 and 23 of Acts 9. That gap is three years. Saul leaves and he goes off to an area called Arabia. Not the modern Arabia, but an Arabia that was close to Damascus, near the Sinai Peninsula. It is here where Mount Sinai was. It seems if there is this pattern throughout Scripture, that there are times where God takes a man, and before he uses them, he sends him off into the desert. So we see Moses in 40 days out in the desert. We see Jesus for 40 days and 40 nights fasting in preparation for his public ministry. Saul, too, would go off to the desert. And while Moses would have went up on Mount Sinai to receive the law so that he could teach it, Saul would have been near Mount Sinai to learn more of grace so that he could teach it. What did he do during these three years? What was it that he studied? Well, there are two questions that he poses in his story of conversion. In Acts chapter 9, verse 5, he asks the question, Who are you, Lord? And then when he tells his testimony in Acts 22, verse 10, he asks, What shall I do, Lord? It could be that these were the basis of his study during these three years. You remember that Saul was a Pharisee. He was very well acquainted with the Old Testament scriptures. He knew them quite well. But he wasn't very well acquainted with Jesus. He needed some time away to study. He knew the religion of Judaism very well. But he needed to know the differences between that and being a follower of Jesus. Jesus once said to Jewish leaders in John 5, verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. It is possible to study the Old Testament scriptures without actually seeing Jesus. And Saul was not the type of person 
that would leave it up to someone else to do the study for him. He wanted to investigate this himself. So what was the fruit of these three years in the desert? I think we get glimpses of this in other passages as well. Just reading a few verses from Galatians chapter 1, Paul said of this message, he said, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The fruit of the study was that the gospel delivered to Saul was by Jesus himself. In Ephesians 3.3, he said, The mystery was made known to me by revelation. And in Romans chapter 16, verse 25, Saul says, This is my gospel. Has there ever been a time where you just needed to get away and spend some time with the Lord? You want to get to know Him better. You don't want to rely on what the pastor says or what that songwriter says. You want to get to know Jesus by yourself so you go off with the Word of God. This is what Saul was doing. And while he did it, the gospel message became very clear for him. And it became the basis of his ministry from this point forward. So now we ask ourselves the question, so far he's had excitement and success. He's went off into the desert and studied it three years, right? By the way, this is the basis for our, what we call our modern-day Bible school or seminary to get away and to study who Jesus is, what Jesus wants of our life. As one commentator says, he has now come back with his doctorate of the desert. And now he's got to be ready for ministry, right? Well, let us consider the third stage of this breaking in Saul's life. He returns... He returns to Damascus. Let's read about that again in verse 23. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. So he returns to Damascus, seminary degree in hand. And he is now reporting at his first ministry site. And how well does that go for him? There is a plot to kill Saul. This too brings up another reminder of how his life parallels that of Stephen. Not only was Stephen one who confounded the Jews, but there was also threats against his life that actually claimed his life. These would not be empty threats towards Saul. These were threats that would materialize as the years went on for this Paul. We would see Paul being stoned in Lystra, beaten and imprisoned in Philippi, accused of starting a riot in Ephesus, arrested and imprisoned in Jerusalem, shipwrecked in the Mediterranean, and imprisoned in Rome. And evidently there in Damascus, there was this large wall that surrounded it. And there were people that had their homes built into this wall. So their outside window actually served as the wall. And there was a large basket that was the size of a grown man and they could lower him down. Historians tell us that such baskets did exist. 
And do you know what these baskets were used for? Trash. People would load up their trash and they would fling it out the window. So here you have this young stallion, right, who's become a follower of Jesus. He's had some immediate success. He goes off in the desert to learn and experience seminary. He comes back at his first ministry site. And how well does that go? He's lowered down from a window in a trash can. This all speaks of the breaking of Saul. Now, if you were in that situation, what would you do? Where would you go? I think if you're like me, you would think, I could use some encouragement. I could use some reassurance. Is there a good church around where I could be around other Christians? Well, this chapter began in Jerusalem. And so Saul returns to Jerusalem. And it is there where there is the mother church. This is the church where it all began in Acts chapter 2. If ever you were going to go to a healthy church, it must be the church in Jerusalem, right? And so that's where he goes. Look with me of his experience there in verse 26. Now when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. The word attempted there, attempted to join, is a word in the Greek form that speaks of repeated attempts. It's not like he just gave it one shot. It was like he made multiple attempts to break through and establish some relationships with the people within this mother church there in Jerusalem. And none of them would have anything to do with him. I don't suspect they had a greeter ministry back then, but if they did, and he walked through the doors of that church building, uh, imagine there are people that are all over the new guests, but as soon as they see Saul come in, they part ways to say, we don't want anything to do with this guy. And then, um, during the greeting time of the service, when you typically go out and shake hands and you're, you're offering a handshake, or you're, you're offering a hug to one another, you can imagine that people kept their distance from Saul. As if to say, we want nothing to do with him. And if ever there were a time for someone within the church to look at a man and say, we need to look past his history. Yes, he was at one time a persecutor, But now he is God's man. And Jesus is working in his life. It was this time. Is there no one within this church that would do just that? My two favorite words in this passage are the next two that we find in verse 27. That says, but Barnabas. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them, how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. The fourth stage in this breaking is not only the rejection that he experienced in the church, but also the acceptance that he would receive from Barnabas. And what does Barnabas do? He invites them to meet some new Christians. As I've been looking through this book of Acts, I've been asking myself the question, how did these ordinary people, 
carry out the Great Commission. Last week in Acts chapter 9, we saw how there was a man named Ananias, whom God said, there's a new believer, you go and you minister to him. And we see Ananias putting his hand there on Saul, an expression of tenderness. We see him at the first part of verse 19, providing a meal. We see him providing some basics of theology by making sure that he is baptized and receives the Holy Spirit. And now we see this discipling continuing further, where Barnabas picks it up. And what does he do? He introduces Saul to some friends, to the apostles. And if there are some people that you want to be introduced to, it would be the apostles. These are the disciples that literally walked with Jesus. You see, as we think about discipleship, we can do this. We can provide a meal. We could talk about the basics of baptism and what the gospel is. We can introduce a new believer to our own Christian friends. These are some of the essentials that we need to be about as we think about discipling others. Well, then that must be the final phase. Excitement, success, seclusion, learning, return, opposition, rejection, Barnabas. He's experienced all these phases, right? Well, there's one more stage that we see, and it is this. Obscurity and grinding. Now, when I use the word grinding, I'm not referring to some sort of inappropriate dance. I'm referring to this, this idea of doing the right thing over and over and over again, even when there is no evidence of immediate results. This passage begins by Saul proclaiming the gospel. This passage ends by Saul proclaiming the gospel as well. Look with me here, as it says in verse 28, So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. As if it got a little hot there. Saul was preaching, he was getting people upset, And they said, why don't you come on down? We're going to put you on a boat and we are going to send you home. It is ironic. One Bible teacher said it this way. Acts 9 begins with Saul leaving Jerusalem in pursuit of fugitive Christians. It ends with Saul leaving Jerusalem as a fugitive Christian himself. Saul the persecutor has become Saul the persecuted. And we do not hear of Saul again until the 11th chapter in verse 25. God is doing a great work in a city called Antioch. People are trusting Christ to forgive them of their sins. They are following in Jesus' ways. Back at the mother church there in Jerusalem, word gets out to the apostles, and so they decided to dispatch one of their best, Barnabas, down to Antioch. And Acts chapter 11 Verse 25 tells us what Barnabas does. It says here, So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. We see three years in the desert. 
Well, what is the gap between Acts 9 verse 30 and Acts 11 verse 25? Bible teachers would say seven years. Seven years of obscurity where he has been led off the boat in Tarsus. Seven years before we read of him again when Barnabas goes and finds him because God is doing a work in Antioch. Ten years separate Saul's conversion and commissioning to the church. There is no fast track here in God's progression of breaking Saul. Over this last couple of months in quarantine, as I've gone out uh, walking around our property and along our grass, as well as a vacant lot, just praying and thinking through messages, particularly during the month of March, I noticed all these blank spots of grass where there was no grass growing at all. So I made the mistake of looking up YouTube and seeing, how how do I have a fuller lawn? So then I read about thatching and viewed videos on overseeding and getting extra dirt. And so I went into this large, tedious process of getting new dirt and planting grass seed and watering that grass seed two, three times a day. And after doing that for a few days, I'm thinking to myself, where is the grass? Should not the grass be coming up by now? And by faith, I would just continue to do that. And after a week, and after a second week, in between weeks two and three, finally grass has started breaking up. Well, we are left to assume that Saul has just been faithful during these last seven years. He's been preaching the gospel at the beginning. He's been preaching the gospel at the end. He's just been grinding it out. And eventually, his number is called by Barnabas. And it is here where he has launched into ministry. There are no quick, fast tracks for God using you. Yes, God can use you at the moment you become a Christian, but he is always working on you. During these last couple of months, one of my boys is taking up wood carving, and he asked me, hey, Dad, can I get some basswood, or can I get some sugar pine that would help me to carve this a little bit better? I say, son, wait right here. Let me go get the chainsaw. And I just go in the back and and cut a few branches down and and give him some rough wood so he can whittle away at that. And each day he comes by and says, Dad, take a look at my progress. And I can see what once was this rectangle piece of wood beginning to take the shape of a man. As he whittles away unnecessary chunks of wood, eventually I can see an ear arms and legs and it made me think of Saul it made me think of our own lives does God not do that as we go through our Christian life is God not continually knocking away useless areas of our life to make us more useful to him well as you listen to these stages of God breaking Saul maybe you can identify with some of these stages yourself and you could say you know what Maybe it's not unusual to be experiencing some pain right now, some opposition, some rejection. Maybe it's not unusual for me to feel obscure right now. I would encourage you, with the grace of God, just to continue to be faithful to what God has called you to do. God was using Saul when he was sharing the gospel there in Damascus. 
And God would use him in an unusual way in the chapters that follow Acts chapter 11. You and I, let us be faithful with the grace of God that he has given us to share the gospel and to disciple others. So as we conclude this message, I concluded with the two questions that he may have pondered himself when he was in the desert. The first, who are you, Lord? And the second, what is it you want of me, Lord? Do you know this Jesus? He is Savior. Only he can save you from your sins. Only he is sufficient to bridge the gap between your sinful state and God's holy identity. I would encourage you to repent of your sins. Place your faith in what Jesus has done, that you may have a relationship with him. And then if you know him, continue to know him more and more by reading the scriptures. What does he want you to do? Well, it is to walk with him faithfully, to share the gospel, to disciple those around you. Let us pray together. Father, I thank you for this this panoramic view of 10 years of Saul's life. And perhaps we would read of this chapter and say, oh, well, he, he went from, from being a, an unbeliever to a believer to planting churches immediately. But if he were here today, and his word teaches us here today, that there was a, a methodical progression. And may we be open to that progression in our own lives where you sand away and you grind away sin, unnecessary areas to make us into the woman, into the man you want us to be. Father, I pray for the men, women, boys, girls here today that might not be a follower of yours. Grant them the faith right now to repent of their sins, to trust that Jesus died in their place and that he rose again to bring abundant life. May they trust him even now. In Jesus' name, amen.